In this week's Planet Korea, we're going to pick up our occasional series on Korean urbanism with Colin Marshall. Colin is the local blogger for the Los Angeles Review of Books and just a prolific podcaster, writer, and expert on the topic of urban life in cities around the world. We've been talking about this particular discussion for a long time now, and I'm glad we're finally getting around to it. Colin, as a longtime resident of Los Angeles, and I are, we're both residents of Seoul for a fair number of years, and so we've been wanting to talk about this Los Angeles-Seoul comparison. Los Angeles in particular is undergoing some deep changes that may offer some insights regarding Seoul's future development, and I've got Colin in the studio to bounce some ideas back and forth. Hey, Colin. Good to be here. We've both been in America a bit, I know, so it's... uh We're back in town now. A little bit of back and forth. Yes. Urbanism segment. No place is home in the 21st century, but uh, (laughs) we can can kind of call some places home. And to liven up this discussion, we had a little bit of a brainstorm uh, a little while ago, and we've pulled some clips from various music, documentaries, and so forth, and uh, we'll inject them into the uh, discussion. So, Los Angeles. I mean, I know... You're not a native in, a, in terms of lifelong living in Los Angeles, but you connect very strongly to Los Angeles. I am indeed obsessed with Los Angeles, as mm. some Angelinos, a, a small minority, are. I moved from there to Seoul, in fact, with the sense that I would keep writing about Los Angeles, keep using Los Angeles as an object of study in a way, and of comparison, because I wanted to understand Los Angeles better. In a way, it helps to go outside of Los Angeles. And, you know, this is a city that everybody kind of knows. On yeah. some level. How do you do you know Los Angeles? What do you know about it? I'll tell you this. Impressions. You, impressions are all I have of Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. I've been there for uh, a day or two at a time, not nearly enough to know the city. And, you know, the impressions I have are mainly those that I got in my youth. Uh, I'm kind of of the first generation MTV kind of people. And I actually pulled two songs that basically set the impression in my mind of Los Angeles. This one was on rotation constantly, 24 hours a day, uh, way back when. This is Randy Newman, I Love L.A. Let's give that a quick listen. So there are first impressions, Colin. Sunshine, top down. He named a whole bunch of freeways and Santa Ana this. And do you get misty-eyed hearing about that? Well, Randy Newman's I Love L.A., you know, it's such a both ironic and sincere, deeply ironic and deeply sincere tribute to the city. You see that in the video Uh as well as you hear it in the song. And that reflects, I think, a lot of people's experience with Los Angeles. They, uh, They sincerely love it and they deeply ironically regard it as uh-huh. well. They can't quite love it fully, but they can balance it with a kind of irony, with, you know, lines about the bums and the scuzziness. And, mm. you know, Randy Newman is not, he's a lover of Los Angeles, but in the way that many people are, 
He's also looking askance at it. Ah, there's sort of the tinsel town aspect. As an outsider, I look at L.A. surely, as many, many Americans do, surely as many East Coast people do, through the lens of Hollywood, through the lens of superficiality and beauty and suntans and all that stuff. Of course. And you know what song really created an impression for me was that uh, song by Missing Persons, uh, Walking in L.A., uh, kind of delineating the hierarchy of uh, who lives in L.A. Let's give that a quick listen. Colin, only a nobody walks in L.A. I can't even tell you how deep an impression. I was even just uh, in uh, some point in my 20s, I was walking in L.A. on the sidewalk, and that song was ringing through my head. I, I, I had this sense in the back of my mind, I must be a loser because <laughs> I'm not in a car, in a convertible, that kind of thing. You know. Well, I'll tell you, when I lived there in the 2010s, I never had a car uh, in the early 2010s. And uh, I think that the city has changed since the early 80s when that song came out. But you mentioned the view of Hollywood through the view of Los Angeles, I'm sorry, through Hollywood. And there's a documentary I would recommend called uh, Los Angeles Plays Itself by a guy named Tom Anderson, CalArts professor. It's a documentary about how Los Angeles has been seen through film in the past 70, 80 years. Mm. And he says... They say no one walks in Los Angeles. They mean no rich white person walks. Even in the 80s, that was a specific group that considered there to be no walking done in Los Angeles. But now, you get, you see a lot more, how to put it, the city's become, to use the urbanist slang, multimodal. A lot of people are driving, but more are walking, more busing, more subwaying, biking. There's a bike share system now, more than one, in fact, just like Seoul sure. has. Yeah, okay, so you're not automatically a loser if you're not in a convertible car going down the freeways. We have to kind of, you know, recognize that LA is a product of how it was built, how it was laid out, freeways everywhere, uh, spread out, and in fact... You recommended a clip from a documentary where, um, I believe his name is Christopher Hawthorne, is that correct? Yes, a journalist. Christopher Hawthorne is a is the sort of new observer, observer of Los Angeles. He was recently the architectural critic for the Los Angeles Times. He has a sense of what they call the third Los Angeles. He sees Los Angeles as being developed in three phases. Mm. There was the first one from the late 19th century to World War II. The second Los Angeles, the one everybody knows, the Southern California lifestyle sure. of the World the War II. The Randy Newman, I love LA lifestyle. Yes, the second, you know, and Randy Newman's driving a car in that video. The freeways, yards, single-family houses, beaches, mountains, all that kind of thing. That's the second Los Angeles, the Second World War to the end of the 21st century. We're now in what he calls the third Los Angeles. All right. We hear him talk about it in this clip. Let's give that a listen. It no longer dreams of infinite expansion the way it long did, of growing its way out of every problem. It's increasingly offering residents a variety of ways to move around the city, from car share and bike share to new transit lines. But it's too easy to say simply that Los Angeles is moving into a new phase of civic identity from A to B. That idea overlooks one important fact. Many of the elements we're now working to add or improve, mass transit, pedestrian culture, experimental multifamily architecture, ambitious civic buildings. Los Angeles actually produced in remarkable quantities at the end of the 19th and the start of the 20th centuries. In our civic DNA is something before the car, before the freeway, before the concrete LA river and the lawn and the smog. 
Colin, I love that phrase. In our civic DNA. Our civic DNA, yes. That's, what is it? You know, Christopher Hawthorne, as I say, he was the critic of the Los Angeles Times, architectural critic. I was in Los Angeles recently, as we say. I was hanging out with him talking about these matters. And yes, this is a clip from a public television documentary called Christopher Hawthorne's Third Los Angeles. And civic DNA is this concept he brings up to say, Los Angeles, you know, people will say all around the world, uh-huh. Los Angeles was built for the car. That's yes. a common phrase you hear. But in fact, it was not built for the car. It was built in an era of, of, in fact, trains. At one point, it had the largest train system, I think I'm correct in saying, the largest urban rail system in the world, the most expansive urban rail system in the world. The DNA is there. It was built as, in a sense, a more classical city, a denser city, uh, that it was sort of erased in the era of the second Los Angeles after the Second World War, but now is being rediscovered in Los Angeles. In fact, one of the changes that I was anticipating when I went back since I, in the two years since I moved here, this was the first trip back. One was to ride a train from downtown Los Angeles to Santa Monica, where the beach is. That, for the first time, is possible uh, again. And it hasn't been possible since the early 1960s, I believe, maybe the 1950s. So there is a rediscovery of that civic DNA Christopher talks about. When you talk about that expansive rail network of the first Los Angeles, I get a feel for Seoul. I mean, Seoul yes. is the most... Uh, it's When you look at the rail networks of Seoul and its surrounding regions, it looks like a bowl of noodles. It's so well covered by rail, not to mention bus and public transport. That said, Seoul residents kind of have an L.A.-ish addiction to their cars. So Seoul is almost in between the two iterations of Los Angeles. You know, That's it, very true. There's more cars available. on the street than in Los Angeles and Seoul. Are there really? I, I mean, you look. just look. Compare. Yeah. Go to Los Angeles. Go to Seoul. Look at the streets. Always, 24 hours a day, streets full of cars in, in Seoul. In Los Angeles, at least the nights are relatively empty of cars. But here, it's, you're always going to see some flow of traffic, right? Yes. Well, to hear you describe this and to hear Christopher uh, Hawthorne describe this, I, I, I didn't realize that L.A. was in this state of flux, in this state of rediscovery. I still have this stereotype and this baggage in my mind of L.A. as the ultimate car city. And if you don't have a car, you're just like missing persons. You're a nobody. <laughs> you uh, and millions of other people have right. that idea. But Los Angeles has been expanding. The second Los Angeles was all about expanding outward through most of the 20th century. Now it's got to as far as it can. The limits have been reached. Now it's time to turn back in and densify to, you know, I was at this building, the Wilshire Grand Center in Los mm-hmm. Angeles. It was newly opened since I left, and it's actually a certain Korean airline provided the money for this building. Okay. So when you go there to downtown Los Angeles, you see the very Korean flag-looking emblem of this airline shining off the top of this new tower. But you, you see that, you realize things are changing in the built environment. It's going up. It's not just going out. It's going up now as well. Is, could you have taken your last uh, two minutes of commentary there and replaced the word soul in with Los Angeles? Could you say soul has expanded outward and sprawled as far as it can or needs to, and it needs to uh, somehow change from a horizontal to a vertical perspective? Both Los Angeles and Seoul have elements they need to focus on now. Los Angeles needs to densify. Seoul is pretty dense already, isn't sure. it? Sure. Seoul, though... When a foreigner friend visits, especially a Westerner friend visits, what do they always complain about? Uh, 
traffic, space. And uh, how it looks, right? And how it looks. It's a little boxy. That has improved. I mean, I, I, when I first arrived in Seoul, it was a posting, and I had just come from Hong Kong, which is visually one of the most stunning cities in Asia. So I was a little bit down on Seoul when I arrived, say, 15 years or 12 years ago. Um, Seoul has improved. It has put out there a lot of random senseless acts of beautification. <laughs> yes. Chun Ge Chun and this and that building. Some of which we've covered on this segment. Of course. Um, so, you know, Seoul's doing okay. I give Seoul a lot of points for effort and I can see Seoul on a trajectory. Los Angeles has got no apologies to make to anybody in terms of aesthetics. It's a stunning city. It's got that, it has that heritage, and people often talk about the heritage of architecture it has. But when I was talking to Christopher Hawthorne recently, you know, when you talk to anybody who is interested in architecture in Los Angeles, they say, you know, what about this, this era of the first and second Los Angeles when it really was considered a, a home for ambitious architecture where you could do whatever you want, build whatever you want, go crazy? That era seems to have been forgotten. Los Angeles has forgotten how to build a truly interesting building. The Wilshire Grand Center, which I mentioned, has that certain Korean Airlines logo beaming off the top. It's impressive in its height, but not so impressive aesthetically. Okay. Los Angeles could find its own style again in the way that Seoul could find its style. It has had, it's grown, but it hasn't really had a style per se. I think you might agree. Yeah. I mean, we've got a clip from uh, Rainer Banham. This is from, he's a real old school architecture expert. Yes. And you'll hear from the music. And, and this is an old, old documentary. So the audio 1972. quality. 1972. The audio quality is not, you know, what I would call pristine, but you'll hear the early 70s move music behind it. And I just want to capture what he says. It's a very short clip. Have a listen. I'm professor of the history of architecture at University College London. And you might wonder what I'm doing in Los Angeles, which makes nonsense of history and breaks all the rules. Well, I love the place with a passion that goes beyond sense or reason. Los Angeles breaks all the rules and goes beyond reason. It makes nonsense of history. And I love it with a passion beyond reason. Do you think many people have said that about Seoul? Certain Englishmen, for sure, and obviously Rainer Bannon was an Englishman, and he never lived in Los Angeles, but he visited often, wrote this book that I'm tapping now. I'm holding it up, Los Angeles, The Architecture of Four Ecologies, uh-huh. one of the essential books to understand Los Angeles. came out the year before that documentary, 1971, and he looked at Los Angeles, which was even then regarded as sort of a mess with no real design to it, no real, no real qualities to it, just a sort of a bunch of things put together. He saw what was new about it what was different about it. And in a way, to the detriment of the discourse about Los Angeles, because in a way, the way people talk about Los Angeles is a form of complacency. You know, you say Los Angeles doesn't have a center. You can say, like Bannum did, oh, it's polycentric. There are multiple centers everywhere. You say Los Angeles, there's too many roads, too many freeways. Oh, it's a motion-oriented city. So he saw something interesting in that. But of course, there are many deficiencies in that that are implicit and that are now being I would say corrected. You know, whether you think Los Angeles has its own style of urbanism or whether you think it's, you know, a lot of mistakes were made, that's a philosophical divide. Bannon mm-hmm. was on one end of that. But I think even though I disagree with him on a lot of things, his analysis, his way of seeing Los Angeles is still extremely, extremely valuable. And Seoul, you know, people often come here and complain about, as we say, how it looks, the aesthetics. But if you look at Seoul right, you can see 
why this developed this way, what advantages it might have. For instance, you know, all those lookalike towers, yeah. that's a lot of housing. And there's uh-huh. a reason why there's not so many homeless people sure. in Seoul as there are in Los Angeles. The quantity of housing is huge. When I was in going into Los Angeles this last trip, going into downtown, I saw the Wilshire Grand Center, but I also saw tent villages, just encampments of homeless people. And everybody I talked to said the homeless problem has gotten so much worse mm-hmm. in the past couple of years. So there is an advantage if you're sort of putting out cookie-cutter uh, cookie towers. There's a reason to do that. Yeah. Well, I think everybody will agree that Seoul is probably the more practically minded of the two cities, perhaps. Um, I guess uh, the question is, if we're going to import lessons from uh, Los Angeles and and say, what can we say benchmark about Los Angeles and uh, import to Seoul, maybe inject Seoul with some of the passion that uh, Bonham Bonham describes? Uh, what would those strands be of Los Angeles's civic DNA? People often describe Los Angeles as a city of neighborhoods, meaning the neighborhoods themselves are very distinct from one another. And almost because of the difficulty of accessing one from another, historically. But as a result, they've all developed different identities. And oftentimes, you talk to a foreigner who comes here, they say, you know, I don't like how in Seoul you get on the train, you ride an hour, and you get out the station in a neighborhood that looks exactly the same as the one you got in. That is so true. So identity, neighborhood identity could be strengthened even more here, uh-huh. for example. Um, and Los Angeles in a way. So Seoul could learn from Los Angeles, but Los Angeles could also learn from Los Angeles. As I say, Los Angeles should recover its its sense of being a place that is architecturally experimental, that's finding its own style, that can have its own style. There could be a sole style of architecture that is undiscovered as yet. It could involve looking back to a previous iteration of Seoul, to the past. I mean... This is something that I complain about often, but the big projects in Seoul, the high-profile public spaces or buildings, often they're built by or designed by non-Korean architects or architects who trained abroad. You don't see this in certain other countries, but the sense of a homegrown architecture is not strong here in a way that it once was in Los Angeles. Seoul could could develop that. Los Angeles could rediscover it as Uh well. One of the luxuries that Los Angeles has is that the United States is a gigantic country and many different cities fulfill different functions. L.A. stereotypically is Hollywood, New York is finance, Washington is politics, and so forth. Uh, Seoul is everything here. It's everything (laughs) rolled up in a gigantic ball. Half the population lives in this area. Yeah. I wonder if there's... Uh, If that's an answer, regionalism in Seoul, might we sort of spin off some of the functions of Seoul into other cities? Busan becomes this, and Gwangju becomes that, and so on and so forth. Gangneung becomes the city of some other thing. And maybe there's less weight on Seoul's shoulders to be everything. You hear this example brought up especially, and this is extreme, but Daum moving to Jeju Island. Okay. And they're not the only company, but this sense of desolization has been preceded by that, that kind of extreme move where it's like, well, our employees, maybe they don't like the commuting lifestyle. Maybe they want to live on an island. So that's maybe taking it a little far. But the regionalism, it could have an advantage, but everything is a double-edged sword. In America, maybe there's too much regionalism. I'm not sure where the balance is. Yeah. But with Seoul does have to shoulder almost every burden in this country. And it is, the, it is in a way, the 
how to put it, the stand-in for Korea itself. When people talk about South Korea, they're right. most often talking about Seoul. Surely. When you talk about America, you're not talking about Los Angeles. Los Angeles is an exception, uh-huh. whereas Seoul is Korea in many ways. One thread of commonality I hear between uh, Seoul and Los Angeles, especially in this talk of a third Los Angeles, is an evolution into a share economy. Yes, Housing becomes more accommodating of uh, many families. Uh, transportation becomes more accommodating to anybody who wants to take it, and it's not just a car-driven economy. I think, uh, and, and of course, we haven't even touched upon AI and self-driving cars and all of this sort of, you know, Toffler-esque third-wave technology <laughs> kind of stuff that's going to radically transform cities. Um you know, if we look, if we think in a science fiction kind of trajectory about technology shaping uh, how we share resources, I can almost see Seoul and Los Angeles on a similar kind of trajectory, for better or worse. It's an interesting way of thinking about it. You know, myself, I want to maintain my ties to Los Angeles, maybe live there part-time going forward. Mm-hmm. So looking for ways that the two can connect, the two can learn from each other. I mean, Los Angeles is the city with the most, the highest Korean population outside of Korea, yeah. as far as I understand. So there's a pre-made connection there. And I think if Los Angeles learned a bit about building, say, housing from Seoul, and Seoul learned a bit about building an identity from Los Angeles, uh, the, the two cities could attain a form that better suits their status because these are going to be, these already are, extremely high-status cities of the 21st century. Mm. They, need to, they need to have a form, a physical form, that better shows that off, that better suits that, that better, that better tells the world sort of where they are. I mean, there's such an intimate connection between Los Angeles and Seoul culturally. I think half a K-pop gets produced over in Los Angeles. And so many videos, K-pop so videos. Many videos. You see Los Angeles in the background. Yeah, I've seen more impressive <laughs> Korean grocery stores in Los Angeles than I have in my neighborhood. So. I lived by a few of those myself when I was there. <laughs> so there is a connection, and it'll be interesting to see the uh, trajectory of development, urbanism-wise and otherwise. Never disappointing to talk to you, Colin. Thank you once again for coming in. Thank you very much.